Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. So I just want to lower your expectations right off the bat. If this sermon is like on Rotten Tomatoes, it would get a very, very low score. I, I preached this message last night, and I just felt terrible about it and just kind of fell off. And uh, I was talking with a couple staff afterwards, like, you know, this is going online tomorrow. Maybe we should think about streaming at 9 a.m. It just wasn't a good message. And, and a couple of the, uh, the girls and stuff were like, oh, no, I, you know, I thought it, was, thought it was great. And I knew they were lying. And, and luckily... <laughs> I don't know if you know Wyatt. He's one of our youth guys. Wyatt was right behind him. He goes, bro, choppy, bro. It was choppy, bro. It's like, we need to keep this guy around. So, um, so again, I'm just kind of lowering expectations for, for what we're going into. This will be, be fun. It is our last week of the series, Slip the Script, looking through the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we go into a new series called Carols. Uh, we're going to look at the different women named Carol. And, no, I'm just kidding. We're just looking at the, the old-time Christmas carols. And there's a lot of theology that is packed in the Christmas carols. We're going to look at the story behind uh, why those carols are written. And so I'm excited um, because a lot of those carols actually prepare us for, for Christmas. And so that'll be fun to, to start next week. It was, uh, it was March 12th, 2015, actually, eight years ago. And I was the first to hold her. It was daughter numero dos. And she's a scrawny little thing, tall and slim. And she is still that way. But I'll never forget that moment that night of, of holding her. It was the first time that she started to really open her eyes. Now, mama was resting from giving birth. She's being lazy. And so I, I was doing all the work of holding the baby. And it's, it's fun to watch a child open their eyes, you know, for the first time and just kind of study, study the world around them. And this is exactly what Nora was doing. For once, she wasn't screaming. She was just bundled up and she's studying the different lights and all the colors around her and all, you know, the new dimension. And then she looked at me. And as we were just kind of studying each other, I noticed something in her right pupil, just a little bit clouded. Now, her left pupil was, was black, but her right one, there was just there's some milkiness to it. And so I, I, when the nurse came in, I just said, hey, is it normal for babies to have like a, a clouded pupil? And so she kind of looks and goes, oh, honey, I don't see it. Like your daughter's healthy. And a lot of times, you know, parents, especially parents of babies, you can kind of worry. You have nothing to worry about. I was like, okay, but I feel like there's something there. And so the next nurse came in and I asked her, same, same thing. So then I grabbed a doctor. I said, okay, look, you got to take a look at my baby. He took out his eye scope, whatever those things are called. And he looks in her eyes like, no, there's something there. Something's not right. I'll call a specialist. Now, don't ever do this. Don't ever go on WebMD. But we definitely went on WebMD that night. And we did not sleep well at all. We should not have Googled it. Just kind of freaked ourselves out. But the next morning, early in the morning, the oldest doctor that I had ever seen came hobbling into our room. He looked her over and he diagnosed her with a rare defect. He said that the, the lens over her right eye has a cataract. It's actually blocking her right eyes, kind of like a, a, like a window with a shade over the window. And then he said something very interesting. He said, if we don't remove that shade or that cataract soon, she will go blind. 
Now that is, that is wild because the human brain is very interesting. In fact, the human brain is actually a little bit lazy too because if the brain is trying to see through an eye, especially at a very young age, if the brain is trying to see through that eye but it can't really see well, the brain will just turn that eye off. It's like, why even try? It'll just use the other eye because that's easier. Then once that happens and the brain decides to shut that off, the brain's not gonna try that eye, eye again, even if it's cleared up. And so the doctor said, we need to open that window right away. Otherwise that eye will stop working and then the brain won't actually develop the way that it should. Like this is often why you ever see like kids running around with eye patches. Like my daughter was running around with an eye patch for, for many years. Um, a lot of times you patch the good eye to force the brain to see out of the weaker eye because the brain's just always gonna go through the stronger eye. So the eye and the brain, very, very, very fascinating. And what blows my mind is 2000 years ago, Jesus actually talked about this phenomenon in one of the most brilliant ways. And I can't wait to look at it with you. It's Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. We're gonna look at verses 22 and 23. Last week, we looked at the, the couple of verses before it. It's page 811 in the Bibles in the chairs. You didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We got Bibles in the chairs. But Matthew chapter six, we have notes as well. Got a lot ahead of us. Let me pray, because we're gonna need it. <laughs> Father, we do, we, we, need, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text to us. May we look at your word with clear eyes. May we not fight off conviction during this time, but may we be completely open to what you have for us. We do come before you humbly submitting to your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you need to do a surgery on us with that sword, we're, we're okay with that. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms into Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves back on that hill one last time. The sun begins to approach the horizon. Soon colors will pop across the, the sky, orange and blue mixed with red but it's not quite there yet. Dinner fires from nearby communities waft smoke in our direction, reminding the crowd that meals will be hitting the tables soon. And down below, a few ships leave the harbors looking for an early evening catch. But regardless of the time, the man sitting on the rock teaching, he just keeps teaching. Time doesn't matter to him as much as the content that he's covering. Yet the more the sun begins to set, the answer of the crowd begins to grow. See, a good percentage of this crowd can't see very well. Some are all out blind. Others have serious sight problems. Many, many, many would, would have what we would consider minor visual impairments, but none of them have adequate treatment. And so the sign of night approaching promises terrible vision for the walk home, leaving many to make a decision. Do I walk home before the sun sets, or do I stick this out and hope a few good Samaritans will walk with me through the countryside? And something in them tells them to stick this out, to keep listening. For the words that are being shouted over this hill will echo into the future. And that echo has reached these pages that we now read. Jesus says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now there is so much just in this statement right here. And usually Bible readers will read right past this. I had many, many times. Uh, we, we look at this, we think, oh, this is just, he's being very, very poetic, which he is being very poetic, but there is so much here. We actually call this a key in scripture. A key or a key verse, when you unpack it, can unlock the whole paragraph. 
And so I want to unpack this key because it opens up the rest. Uh, in fact, so much so that many times, uh, even if you're like a, a been reading the Bible for a while, you know your Bible really well. This might even change how you read it. So let's have some fun. Let's unpack this, look at this just a little bit closer, piece by piece. So Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Very, very descriptive. Jesus was very expressive with his words. His teaching would often engage people's imaginations. This is why they would sit and listen to him for hours. And, then, and yeah, yeah, he is being very descriptive here and, he, and he's touching their imaginations, but, but also so much more. Jesus is actually making a biological statement right here. See, during this time, there was no eye correction. So if you needed glasses, you just lived in a blurry world. And if you think about that, that's kind of a hard concept to grasp. Like, why is it that something is blurry to you, but it's not to me? Like if we're walking along the Sea of Galilee and I can notice the details of the boat out in the middle of the lake and you can't, why is that? that that's really hard to understand it and grasp that. And so the way that most people, especially in the first century Galilee, understood the eye was it's like a lamp in their homes. Some of them have, uh, not some of them, all of them have little lamps, just little dim lamps that they would keep, you know, on like a desk or on a table that would just kind of light up just a small portion of the table. In fact, I forgot it, but I actually have one of those first century lamps um, from Galilee um, that I, I keep it in my office. It's just this tiny, tiny little lamp. And if we were to like light it up, it would just light up a small portion of the room, maybe even a small portion of the table, just a dim little lamp. Those were very common lamps during this time. But they also had lamps that were very, very bright and that would light up a lot of the room. And so the way that they saw the eye was that someone with bad vision it's like they have just a little lamp. Their eye can only light up a little bit of the world around them. But somebody with really good vision, well, they have a bright lamp because their eyes light up more. This was their way of understanding eyesight. So you think about it, for a super complex thing like the eye, it's really not a bad way of thinking about eyesight. And so here, Jesus is actually speaking in their language. He says, okay, I want to talk about the eye. You think of it like a lamp. If your eye is... If your eye is healthy, your whole body, your eye will allow a lot of the world's light into your body. But here's where things begin to change a little bit. The word for healthy is the Greek word haplous, which means generous. So Jesus is doing this wordplay here. I love this. Saying if your lamp, your eye is generous, there's just a lot of light that goes into your body. Your, your light allows a lot of light into you. You can see really well, there's clarity, but then he flips it to the negative in the next phrase. He says, but if your eye's bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now he's actually sticking with this lamp imagery, but there's, he's also playing with some, some more words here. The word for bad here in the original language is poneros, which also translates as envious. So it's the opposite of generous. I love this. He's, he's playing with the words here. He says, if your eye is generous, you'll see. If your eye is envious, opposite, your body will be full of darkness. And this is so brilliant of Jesus. Not only is he speaking their language, he's using science, I mean, their science, imagery, and, but he's also playing with words here to teach a truth. It's like, okay, what's, what's the truth that Jesus is teaching here? Here's what Jesus is getting at. Some of us have cataracts on our heart. Not much light is making it into our heart. In fact, if we were to be really honest with ourselves, many of us might even admit our hearts are not in good places. 
kind of seems to be darkening. And maybe it's just this subtle darkening, which you can kind of look back and be like, I feel like I was doing better spiritually long ago. I, I'm not in a good place right now. I can't really figure it out. So it's a little bit like uh, the other day, I came home from work and, uh, and Nicole was in the kitchen and I walk up, you know, give her a kiss. And she goes, well, babe, do you notice anything? I hate that question. I hate that question so much. It's like, of course I don't notice anything. I'm lucky to get my shoes on the right feet in the morning. Like, of course I don't notice anything. It's like, I, I don't know. Did you get your hair done? No. Did you do your nails? No. Look at the windows. I guess she's like spent the whole day like cleaning the windows inside and out. And sure enough, our windows were like pristine. You could see the changing leaves like outside just beautifully. And I said, dang, I didn't notice how dirty the windows were. Like, look at those windows. Like, I guess we just got used to all of the, the kids, you know, sticky finger marks and, and, and dog nose smudges. And Jesus is saying, your heart might be like those windows. You have some cataracts over them. You don't really notice them. You don't have this great perspective in life because your lamp, your eye is smudged with envy and selfishness and it's hurting how you view the world around you and people around you. Like to take it back to my daughter, my daughter had a bad eye and a good eye. And I hate to use the word bad eye because that's how God created it. God doesn't create bad, but this is the wording that Jesus is using. So we're gonna stick with that language. But my daughter had a, had a bad eye and a good eye, an eye that was blocked and a clear eye. Jesus then takes this illustration and says, okay, which eye do you have? Talking spiritually, not physically, of course. Do you have eyes of generosity, generous eyes, eyes that look past yourself to give and to bless and to help? You're very others focused. Or do you have more envious eyes? Your eyes can't really see past yourself. You're always kind of comparing yourself to whoever, very self-focused on what you need and what you want. Your light doesn't shine much past yourself. Which kind of eyes do you have? When you look at other people around you, do you see others as objects to bless, opportunities to bless? Or do you tend to see other people around you as objects to compete with and compare to? This is the lesson that Jesus is getting at. What kind of eyes are you living with? There's one eye that fills your body with light, with clarity, with purpose, with vision. And case in point, I've never met an extraordinarily generous, unhappy person. Never met somebody like that. In fact, I don't think they exist because they have this generous eyes that just light up their whole body, that light up their life. I was thinking about um, one of my buddies, he goes to our displays location, um, always at church, always helping, always giving to people. And I was pheasant hunting with a few guys on Friday and we were talking about, his name's Mark. Like you talk about Mark, he's like, man, you gotta be careful what you say around Mark because if you, you know, say you like something, like the next week he's gonna show up and give it to you. And I've never seen Mark in a bad attitude because he's just, his, his, his eyes, his lamps just light up the world around and fill his body with light. He's always blessing. One eye fills your life with light and clarity and vision and health, but there's one eye that clouds and confuses and spirals into deteriorating mental health. I've never met a happy consumer. Never met a happy consumer. Somebody who just consumes and looks for more, dreams of more, always comparing. I've never met a happy consumer. Now they fake their happiness, especially online. Go on TikTok. A lot of consumers out there that are happy, but they're really not. Just visionless, frustrated, discontent, edgy, and never satisfied. And so Jesus poses this question to the crowd, which eyes are you living with? And then he laments in verse 23, he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great a darkness. 
Now here, Jesus is actually sticking with this scientific illustration. To go back to that old doctor who hobbled into our room and said, if you don't clear your daughter's eye, her brain won't develop right. Because when the eyes don't see well, the brain won't develop depth perception very well. Like those, are, those who are blind, fully blind, can't imagine colors because their brain hasn't developed that distinguishing dimension. This is why Jesus's miracles throughout the gospel, you know, when he healed blind people, often we'll read those, at least I do, kind of read those gospels and we can kind of think, oh, Jesus like flipped some sort of switch in their eye, you know, and now they can see. No, when Jesus healed a blind person, he, yeah, he healed their eyeball, sure, but he also healed their brain. He gave them depth perception, ability to see and distinguish color. His healing wasn't just the eyeball. His healing reached into the connections of the inner workings of the brain and lit up that part of the brain. Because when you don't see well, your brain struggles to fully develop. And Jesus's point here, this, this lament is the exact same thing is true spiritually. That when you live with these eyes of envy, just consuming and, and selfishness, you can't really see past yourself, your spirit doesn't really develop. You don't see the world around you as God sees it. You don't see people the way God sees them. Your heart doesn't break for the things that break the heart of God. All you're seeing is what you want, what can get you further ahead. You're frustrated, living tense and falling behind. And this is what Jesus is saying. Man, how great a darkness. This is the majority of people that are just living in that darkness. I mean, Jesus is such a good teacher, isn't he? A few takeaways from this text. Number one, the eyes impact the heart. What you see impacts your heart. This is the explicit message of these verses. What you keep your eye on it actually steers your heart. It's a bit like... Uh, so there's this trick with riding a motorcycle and I've been riding a bike for several years, but actually I've only been legal for the last couple of years. I know it's not right. That is my confession. I shouldn't have been riding, but, but I was. I just, I didn't want to take the, the bike road test. You know, you go to the DMV, which is already like terrible, You're like cattle just being walked through government lines. And, and then you have to go in the parking lot and you, you like do this course and, and they test how fast you can stop and, and can you weave and all of that. And my wrongful attitude has been, I don't need to prove anything to the government. They need to prove some stuff to me. So I, you know, I just had a bad attitude, but I felt conviction about not being legal. So I went in, I got my license and I went into the you know, parking lot and, and passed the first few parts. But then there's this part in the test where you have to weave through cones. It's the hardest part of the course. And I'm riding a, a, like a, a bigger bike. So I went for it and I did fine, but the very last cone, I just kind of shaved. And the tester came up to me, he's like, man, I can tell you know how to ride. I, I can't fail you on that. Um, let me just give you a tip and I'll give you a second show or a shot at it. He said, look at where you, on the pavement where you want your tires to go. You will naturally run over the spot on the pavement that you're looking at. He walks away, he's like, government employees, can't be that easy. He was right, did it again, perfect go. Like next time you ride a bicycle, you have to give that a shot. Your wheels will naturally go toward what you're looking at on, on the ground. This is why in sports, they'll say, keep your eye on the, on the ball, right? Because you can hit the ball, you can catch the ball if you keep your eye on it. Jesus is teaching, this carries over into life. What you're looking at is what you tend toward. So to take it into the social media realm, your algorithm tells a lot about what you want in life and where you're headed in life. So for example, our, our staff, we, we break up into accountability groups. Our whole staff are like into pairs of like three. Actually, Jordan and I are in the same group. 
And the first time we met as like an accountability group, we grabbed each other's phones and we're like, oh, let's look at the reels that your algorithm is, is showing you. Like the Instagram reels, you know, because Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, it'll figure out what you want and it'll show you what you want. And so we're looking at each other's algorithms. You know, what is Facebook saying you're looking at? What is Instagram saying you look at? Because what you're looking at is what you're tending toward. So is it like sports, fashion, cars, sex, politics? For Jordan, there's a lot of mommy blogs. Um, no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. <laughs> What we look at is what we tend toward because the eye impacts the heart. And so the question becomes, what's your eye on? What have you been looking at? Is your eye mainly on you? What benefits me? What's going to make me look good here? What's going to get me to the next level? Or is your eyesight better than that? Can you see more of the world? Like, let's have some fun. Let's take a little eye test. Remember those like eye charts you'd have to look at with the different, different letters? We're not going to do that. But um, actually one time Nora came home from the eye doctor and she did really well on her eye test. And so as a family, we were just like, we were just like celebrating because she did like, she blew the doctors away with just how well she did on, on her eye test because they were like, she's pretty sure she's going to go blind in that eye. And uh, so she did really well and I'm putting her to bed and I, I lay next to the kids for, for a little while before bed and just kind of talk with them. And so I'm laying next to Nora. And I was like, hey, it was a good day. Like, you did well on the test. Like, that was awesome. God's good, right? She goes, yeah. But you want to hear a secret, Dad? All right, sure. She goes, well, when I came into the exam room, I just started memorizing the eye chart. <laughs> I was like, that's genius, baby. Uh, not good, but that's really clever. So I promise, I'm not going to show any eye charts up here. We're just going to do like a little bit of an eye litmus test. Just kind of get you thinking about where you're at. So first question that I want you to consider is, do you notice the lost around you? Do you notice the lost around you? 15 years ago, my dad stood up in front of our church and he issued a challenge for one month. And it was a challenge that I'll never forget. But he said, for the next month, would you to gain a hypersensitivity to the loss that are around you? How many people do we pass by during our days? People people who are made by God, made in the image of God, who are cherished by God, who haven't met Jesus and are walking toward this terrifying future. And we don't give it a second thought. Coworkers, neighbors, people in the grocery store, parents of our kids' classmates, how often do we not give their eternity a single thought? And so my dad challenged us as a church. He said, as you drive, I want you to look through the windshields of cars that pass by you. Most of those faces are lost. Pray for them. Ask God to break your heart for them. Walk around your neighborhood. See the houses around you, houses that are filled with people who don't know Jesus and allow God to break your heart for them. See past your windows to the lost that are around you. Jesus is saying healthy eyes are generous eyes. They see the hopelessness in people around them and their heart is soft for that. They notice that. And because they notice, they can't help but invite people to church and care for them. This is why new believers tend to be the best inviters because they notice the lost. I had a guy one time, I was like on a panel for some sort of like a, like a pastor's gathering and they'd said, you know, how do we get like people to invite people out to church? And my answer was like, get new believers because they're just, they're the best inviters because they were recently lost and they see the lost around them. But it's sad because for those of us who've been believers for a while and putting myself in this, after a while, we tend to care more about, you know, church issues and opinions, you know, worship styles and church drama. That's a clouded lens. Spiritual age sometimes gives you spiritual cataracts. And part of our walk with Jesus 
often is just clearing our eyes, seeing the lost. How are your eyes? Do you notice the lost around you? Can you see past yourself to the hopelessness of the, the world that you live in? And the second question I want you to consider is, do you notice opportunities? I still kick myself, but several years ago, a mayor invited me out for lunch and I'm not really into politics. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but he was my age and we had some mutual friends. So, so we went out, we hung out and at lunch, we just, it was a fine lunch, but, but he asked me, he's like, hey, Junior, what gets you out of bed in the morning, man? I was like, that's a big question. I kind of felt on the spot. I was like, I don't know. So I said, like, I don't know, like my alarm. Um, <laughs> got a newborn baby. Yeah, that gets me out of, you know, up in the morning a lot. And then after lunch, I was walking out to my truck and I felt so much conviction. Like, what gets me out of bed in the morning? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I should have said that. It wouldn't have been weird, it would have been so natural. But I missed it because I had bad eyes in that moment, couldn't see the opportunity in front of me. One of my friends told me that, uh, and I started copying his morning prayer, but he said, Junior, every morning before I head out of the house, I always pray, like, God, I know you will give me opportunities today. May I recognize them. Make those obvious to me because I know you're gonna be putting people and situations in my path that I'm supposed to impact. So can I notice those opportunities? Please, God, help me notice them. That should be our, our prayer every morning. Get those cataracts off our eyes. I wanna see the opportunities that you are placing before me. How are your eyes? Do you engage the lost? Do you have a heart for your church to grow with your neighbors and friends and coworkers? Are you talking about Jesus? Are you inviting people to church? Or like me too often, are you struggling to see, to see them? So often our eyes are on our opinions and our desires and Jesus says, okay, but your body will have so much more light if you can just look past yourself. Point number two, generosity opens eyes. This is again, this explicit message from Jesus. Generosity opens eyes. Last February, my wife and I went down to Honduras and I'm on the board for Just One International. I'm Maddie, our curly blonde, what's happening girl, runs an organization to, uh, to send kids in poverty to school. And so I'm on the board, but my wife and I are also financially invested in that. And so Nicole and I, we actually went down to Honduras and I was helping with construction while my wife was doing a clinic. And if you look at this picture, like Junior, you kind of look angry. It's because I am. In this picture, I was angry. I did not have the best attitude that first day when, I, when this picture was taken because I had just gotten done drywalling and I hate drywalling. <laughs> it's in a building, no AC, hanging drywall all day, up and down, everybody's outside. Stick Junior in with the ladders and the drywall up and down. And I was doing it with the wrong heart. So I get to the hotel that night and I'm just like, I'm grumpy as I'll get out. And my wife is emotional and, and she's not often emotional. I don't do well with a lot of emotions. Pray for me because I'm in a house full of girls. But she's a little emotional and we figured out each other. So she knows that I struggle with emotions. And so she's just, she, she helps me along. But with tear filled eyes, she looks at me and I'm grumpy. And she said, I had to tell a lady today that she's not going to live. She has like a, had a disease that couldn't be addressed by their healthcare system. And their clinics down there often run out of basic medications like Tylenol. So like Tylenol is like gold down there. And so she said, I had a woman come in just in, in pain. And she said, I had to tell the woman, Tylenol is all I can give you. This can just hold you over. And the woman was just so grateful, even though I told her that she was going to die from this. And so she started emptying our suitcase of all of our stash of medications. And she's like, babe, we're giving this away. I'm like, honey, that's, I need that Tylenol. I can't lift my hands above my head. She's like, you're going to live though. 
So the next day at the, at the clinic, I'm limping around the building and she's, Nicole's giving away all my Tylenol. And it was that, honestly, that changed my heart. Because that day I wasn't thinking about the drywall that I didn't want to hang and I got to go up another ladder and, and when can this project be done? All I was thinking about was the people that were going to use this building and I get to help build it. I was far more sore that day, but I was far happier because generosity, maybe forced by my wife, but generosity, it opened my eyes and it lit up my whole body and it gave me a different perspective on life. This is why God invites us into giving. This is why God invites us into sacrifice. Generosity opens our eyes. And Jesus says it brings light and vision and perspective and clarity to our spirit. And the reality is, is, is a lot of us, come on, a lot of us, we're in funks. And we've been there for some time and we're frustrated, you know, spiritually frustrated. And, and we're just kind of feeling like, like we're out of sync. And then we might blame it on this and that. And I'm not getting my way here and they're not doing that. Really the truth might be more generosity and an outward focus is really what you're missing. You're missing that light that pours into your body. So it was a few years ago, I was in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. That's where my wife is from. And uh, it's a fun, fun little town. I was there actually last week. Uh, it's, a, it's an antique town, but also it's a snowboarding town. It's a nice snowboarding hill uh, that my wife uh, worked at. And we would date um, when, when we first met. It's just a, a beautiful little town. And so we're in Mount Hor, Wisconsin, and it's summertime. So uh, we came home from the lake. On the way home, I, we stopped for ice cream. So I said, girls, we want to stop at the ice cream shop in town. So we all sat down. And my youngest at the time, she was two. And uh, she wanted Blue Moon. The ice cream flavor, not the, not the drink, the, the ice cream flavor. She's eating blue ice cream and, and she's, she's grumpy. So she like Mr. Nap, foul mood, eating ice cream, just grumpy. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I need to address this a little bit. So I lean over and I tease her like, I'm going to eat some of her ice cream. And she goes, mine, mine. And gave me this nasty look. It's like, okay, well, that's something I you know, can't let go as a dad, right? That's bratty. And so I need to address this. And so I said, okay, well now Reese, you're going to give me a bite of, a bite of your ice cream. Now the truth is I didn't want it like blue ice cream. I don't want that. Uh, I had my own ice cream, but I knew that she needed to surrender her ice cream. So I said, you're going to give me some of that ice cream. The look I got as she stuck her spoon in her eye, it might, have, might, might as well have been a shiv that she was stuck in, sticking in me. It was just like <laughs> sticking it in there for a brow. She offers a spoon up to me to try I kid you not, the moment I put that disgusting ice cream in my mouth, that very moment, her face changed. Her brow, you know, furrowed. She cracked a smile. And she said, it's good, yeah? And then she offered me more. What just happened? Well, it's what happened to me in Honduras. It's what Jesus is happens. That generosity allows light into your body. It changes your heart. It changes your attitude. This is why God commands generosity. Because God doesn't need your money. He owns it all. It's nothing to him. But he knows what generosity does to us. And he knows we need it. This is why generosity is a mark of a follower of Jesus. Because we follow the one who gave it all. The one who asks us to give. The one who taught this very lesson. He gave it all on the cross. Gave up his life so that he could have you. Like he didn't just teach this lesson. He went to the cross and he modeled full generosity and he gave it all. So what he asks us to give, percentage, consistent generosity. Oh, come on, that's like a small ask when it comes from the one who gave 
And the more we embrace what he gave, the gospel, his love, the more we want to follow him into that sacrificial giving and be just like him. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.